Would you turn over in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew? We're going to be over in Matthew today, chapter 13. As we open, we have this story from the wisdom of cowboys. First off, letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. If you're riding ahead of the herd, take a look back every now and then to make sure it's still there. If you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering somebody else's dog around. That'll put you a little into perspective on it. Never kick a cow chip on a hot day. There's two theories to arguing with women. Neither one works. If you find yourself in a hole and the first thing you do, uh, if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. Never slap a man who's chewing tobacco. Always drink upstream from the herd. Don't kick a sleeping dog. And the quickest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it back in your pocket. Well, sometimes uh, some of the wisdom we get in life is just, uh, just overly simple. We look at that and say, well, that makes sense, but I just never thought of it that way before. We're going to be taking a look at something here this morning that uh, sometimes we're, we bear the brunt of or sometimes we ask questions about this to ourselves or sometimes these kind of things come up. And the Word of God has great wisdom for us, but sometimes we're just not thinking about the simplicity of what the Word of God has to say for this. But what do you do about bad seed? We talked last week about targeting a harvest. And, and as we've gone over in this, in this series, not, every, not all sowing has to do with money. You've got to get your uh, eyes open up to that. Some of the past things we looked at, we honor God by bringing Him the tithe, a tenth of all that comes to us. This opens the door for God to rebuke the devourer, to send rain in its season, or to cause our income from our job to increase, be another way to put it, to prosper us when others are not, or economic conditions are poor, to prosper us when others around us are not, or when economic conditions are, pure, are, are poor. This is what bringing the tithe does. This is what it does. doesn't mean the enemy is not going to try and come against your finances. It means that you have opened the door for God to do some things for you. And so take authority over it, speak to it, change it. Anything over the tithe is sowing or it is giving of alms. We've been talking a bit more about the sowing aspect these last few weeks. Last week, we did look at targeting the harvest. How do you become specific about what you need? One of the examples we looked at was Ruth. Ruth was poor. Ruth didn't have a whole lot of money. She didn't have any money really to do much with. What did she do? She sowed kindness. That's what we saw in that story. She sowed kindness. When she sowed kindness, what did she get back? Boaz said, you see that lady out there? I want you to drop some, some stuff so she can pick it up. And don't, don't stop her from, from uh, pulling out of this area over here. Let her go ahead and do that. And then Boaz eventually married her. And so when you are a poor woman and you marry a rich man, what happens? You become a rich woman. <laughs> That's what she did. She went from being a poor woman with nothing to becoming a rich woman married to Boaz. How? Did she sow any money? No. She sowed kindness. She was kind to Naomi. And because of that, Boaz saw the character that was in her and, and was attracted to that and eventually married her. We looked at some other stories in the Word of God where it's not just money that you sow. Money is a seed, but it's not the only seed that you sow. And if you limit yourself to always thinking the only way I can get into the, the sowing and reaping aspect that the Word of God talks about is if I have money. 
Well, you're not going to get into all the things that God wants us to do. We saw uh, another story where a man sowed a huge amount of forgiveness into someone. And that person went out and did what? You owe me a little bit, pay it now. No forgiveness. What did he end up doing? Losing the forgiveness that he had. What was he supposed to sow? Money? No, forgiveness. Forgiveness. He was forgiven a great debt. He should have gone out and therefore forgiven others. We see that there's, uh, there's blessings in the Word of God when you show mercy. When you show mercy, what do you receive? Mercy. mercy. That's, a, that's a direct promise from the Word of God. If you give mercy, you will receive mercy. And so we've got to understand that there's a lot more to sowing than just giving money. And you open up your eyes to it. Once you open up your eyes to how much sowing and reaping is involved in the Word of God, you should never go through a day without thinking, what have I sown today? You can sow friendship. You can sow wisdom. You can show, sow understanding. You can sow the Word. You can sow all kinds of things. Be always looking for an opportunity to sow. Now, last time we were talking about when you have a need for something, how to target that harvest that you need. But I'll tell you what, if you ever have an opportunity to sow, even if you don't need the harvest, sow it. You know why? Because you don't know when you're going to need it. <laughs> I don't really need a whole lot of mercy right now. So what? Sow it. Sow mercy. Every time you have an opportunity to sow mercy, what should you do? Sow it. Every time you have an opportunity to sow kindness, what should you do? Sow it. We want to take a look at this story here today about, uh, we've already looked at it some, but we want to look at another aspect of it. The parable Jesus gave in Matthew 13, 24, another parable he put forth to them, to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. We talked about good seed before and what made good seed. If you are going to sow something for God, it cannot be junk. It cannot be something that you don't appreciate, something that you don't like. Abraham sowed his son in order for the whole world to be blessed. Was that something precious to him? Yes, yes it was. When Jesus said, I want you to bring the lamb, and he, did he say, any old lamb that you don't want anymore? No, what did he say? I want the most perfect lamb. I want the perfect lamb. I want one without spot. I want one without blemish. I want one that is extremely useful for you. What did David say when he was going to make a sacrifice unto God? He was going to buy some property to make the altar? I cannot offer to God something that doesn't cost me anything. If you're going to sow into God's kingdom, it's got to cost you something. You can't just sow what you don't care for, what you don't want. Now, what you don't want, somebody else might want. That might be something very precious to them, but it doesn't matter. It needs to be something for you. And when God comes to you and he says, I need you to sow that, generally, it's going to be something that you like. He's going to say, I need you to sow. I want you to take that thing that you got, do this thing over here. I want you to give it to this person over here. Oh, but God. <laughs> no, just go ahead and do it. Be obedient. We looked at that aspect of it too, showing, showing obedience. But anyway, that was the good seed part. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now the tares represent the opposite of good seed. What's the opposite of good seed? Bad seed. Bad seed is something that does not bring a harvest that you want. Bad seed is something that you're not trying to get. He sowed wheat. He didn't sow tares. Tares are not productive. Tares don't bring in anything that's going to bring you uh, money that you, or something that you can sell. 
But when the grain had sprouted and produced the crop, then the tares also appeared. So they saw them all mixed in. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, as an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in the bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. So bad seed had come in. As we said, the good seed is the stuff that you want to harvest. The bad seed is the stuff that is useless or harmful. Now, again, I'm trying to emphasize this with you. Money is a seed, but it is not the only seed. You've got to open up your eyes to more things. We reap a harvest on seeds of, and there's, there's some more things in here I want you to see. We reap a harvest on seeds of thoughts, seeds of words, and seeds of actions. We reap a harvest on seeds of thoughts, words, and actions, as well as money. Again, with Ruth, we saw she had a harvest of and the actions of kindness. Joseph, he reaped a harvest for his diligence, didn't he? Joseph was diligent in what he did. When he was a slave, but when they put him over the house, he started out just as a lower slave, worked his way on up, put him over the house. He saw that as a big deal. He saw that as something big. I am over, he was telling the wife, look, I'm over this whole house. Your husband doesn't know what he has. I tell him what he has. Everything is in my care except you. And he wasn't going to do it. Now, I want you to understand this. I, I, was, I was meditating on some things, uh, I don't know, some time ago. And I was thinking about this on, on stuff. But Joseph had a viewpoint of, his, of what he was doing. He had, he had the vision. He's going to be the ruler, and his parents were going to come bow, to, bow down to him, and his brothers were going to come down and bow down to him. They didn't like that. But he had that vision. He had this, this thing he's holding out there. And it's, he was over. His dad made him over all the kids. He's over them. They didn't like that. But he had the most diligence. He was the best one of the group to do this. And when we saw the rest of them come out, we saw why. <laughs> Joseph was by far the brightest, the best of all his sons. And he was ruler over them for a reason, because no one else came close to Joseph. And so Joseph was demoted, basically. He was sold as a slave, and he became a slave in Potiphar's house. He was then demoted again and became a prisoner, but eventually ascended to become head over the, the whole prison. And then he was made ready to go over the entire country. The king was going to make him, the pharaoh was going to make him king over the whole country. And he said, Dude. but he didn't just do that because he got this guy who interpreted a dream. He had the testimony. We've been over this before. But he had the testimony of Potiphar, who was someone in Pharaoh's house. And Potiphar said, I put everything in my household in this guy's care. And everything I put in his care prospered. And then the head of the prison came, because this is the Pharaoh's prison. And he came to him and said, everything I put in this guy's care prospered. He was so trustworthy, I gave him the run of the prison. He's got the testimony of two people who have worked with Joseph for the last 17 years. And both of them gave him a good report. You know why that was? Because what Joseph did, this is so important. I hope you can get a hold of this. What Joseph did, Joseph didn't see as small. 
Joseph did not see it as small. How many times have you done something for God and you think it is small, insignificant? We base that because we look at how other people respond to what we are doing. And we, can't, we come out with how good, how big, how valuable what we are doing is based on how other people receive it, how other people respond to it. How many been there with that? Oh, come on, we've all been there with that. Oh, man, how many times? I want you to give you an example. You all know this story inside and out. David was given charge over his father's sheep. How big of a responsibility was it? Well, according to his brother, who did you leave those few sheep with? It was not a significant job in the family. The reason we know that is because when, when, uh, when the prophet came to anoint someone as king, the dad brings all his sons in front of the prophet except David, why? He just keeps the sheep. He's not a significant son. Now, we talked about this one before. When we went over David and Goliath and the whole story there. If you had a son who killed a lion, if you had a son who killed a bear, would he not rise in the house? Absolutely. If you had a son who did both, would you not look upon that son differently than you do upon the others? But David's father did not. David's father looked at him almost with disdain and put him out there with the sheep. When David came home the first day and said, Father, I killed a bear today. Oh, is that right, David? Hey, boys, come on around. Listen to David's bear story. Now, how do you know that happened? Take a look at the attitude that David's oldest brother has when David comes out to bring the cheese. He's got an attitude towards his brother. Why, where did he get that from? From his dad. And how do you know his dad had it? Because his dad doesn't even bring him in front of the prophet. The prophet has to ask him, don't you have any more sons? Well, yeah. Got one more. I guess I can go get him. If you were a dad and the prophet came to you and said, I'm going to anoint one of your sons king, how many of you might go for the one who killed a bear and a lion first? They did not believe he killed a bear or that he killed a lion. And they ridiculed him for it. Notice how many times David talks about that story. Because at home he wasn't valued for it. But David took what was small in his father's eyes what was small in his brother's eyes and elevated it in his own eyes. So much so that he took a group of sheep that his own father put into the hands of his least desired son, least valued son. And that son put his life on the line to protect it. Twice. And then that same son went and put his life on the line for his nation. Because what David did, David didn't view as small, even though people around him did. Now, this is important for you to learn. 
Because if you do not view what you do as important to God, you will not treat it well. If you don't treat well what God has put in your hands now, why would God put more? Remember the story we looked at last week with the minus? He gave one to all the different people. He started bringing them up, gave one to ten of them. He started coming up. We just had the story how he brought three of them up. One guy says, I took your one and made ten. I took your one and made five. I took your one and I buried it. He wasn't too impressed with the guy who buried it. He wanted to be, go out there and be doing something with it. Now take that one that he has, take it away from him because he doesn't view it as anything. Now, a long time ago, I learned this from God. I know I've said it to you a few times, but haven't said it all that often. It's real easy to tell the people who view what they do as important because all you have to do is look at how much diligence they put into finding a replacement when they're gone. I'll tell you right there. I don't have to ask you how important what you do is. You tell me all the time. Nothing speaks it more than when you're gone. What do you do? Now, there's some other things that will speak it too. Each one of you, whatever it is that you do for God, whether it's here, whether it's outside, wherever it is, whatever you do for God, you have tools. You have tools. You've heard me tell you this story a number of times. I have tools that help me do what I do for God. I have tools, I have assets I consider to be extremely valuable. No one else probably considers them valuable, <laughs> but I consider them to be valuable. I have resources, I have some things that I, I look at, that I, I study after. Uh, but the most important thing that I have is the thing that God tells me as I study the Word. And I learned that a long time ago. And so for a while, to make sure that I kept it, I would write them down in the margins of a Bible, which I still have to this day. And I can go back and I can check those margins because this is way before computers and way before a lot of the other things. But then we started to get into you know, computer age and doing computer things. And, and we decided, you know, I came up with this thing that the best, word, the best word that gets into you is the word that you remember. So we started doing outlines for you. That was years ago. 1998 was the year we started doing outlines for you and we've been doing them ever since. I have every single outline I have ever written for you. Every single one. They're, to me, I consider them to be valuable. If I ever go over a passage again, I always look back at what I learned before. And I expect to take that further. Expect to look. It's so valued to me, valuable to me. I have a copy of every outline I've ever done. Every note I've ever taken in, studying, or in preaching the word, teaching the word. Every, it's on several computers that I own full copy of everything that I've done is on several computers. I have it on three different flash drives. I upload it on a weekly basis to two different internet sources. Two different internet sources. I have it backed up on. If any one source fails, it's no big deal. I can get it from someplace else. I don't have all of them, but I have about five years worth right here because I consider them to be valuable. Now you look at what your tools are. What are your tools for what you do? Do you know where they are? If you're a Sunday school teacher, where are your lessons? Have you ever looked at it before this week? That's your tools, right? I know our Sunday school teachers spend a good bit of time on that. 
and they and they, they they spend time on it. If you're in the worship team, the music that you have, that's a tool. Do you lose it? Do you listen to the music that you're going to lead people in worship in? Do you know it? If you consider what you do as small, how can God treat you with anything big? It's so important that you, how do you view what you do? If you have, uh, you know, some of you folks, I'm just, I'm by myself. No one else, you know, we, uh, it's, there's some ministries that are more individual. I study, I get the thing and we go. But, you know, team ministries like worship teams, uh, Sunday school teams, stuff like that. It's more of a team ministry. You have to do something like get together and practice. (laughs) I appreciate the enthusiasm the folks have for getting together and practice. Do you see your presence at that practice is important? Is that something that's, are you there on time? Well, if I'm not there, it's no big deal. Why? Because I consider what I do as small. No one can change that until you do. Now, when you have a team, you have people around you to kickstart you if you, in case you slip up. Boy, is that a help. If you're not, you better be a self-starter. You better be able to push yourself when no one else is pushing you. Because you got benefits both ways. You also got challenges both ways. But you got benefits in, in both ways. Take advantage of those things. I show up here in the morning on Sundays. It's a, uh, I, have a, I have a time I expect myself to be here. I have a time that I go through doing all the opening things and all the different stuff. And I have a time I expect to be in prayer because it's important. And I need to be done what I'm doing to get the opening stuff done here at the church in order to be, be ready to be in prayer. Because I'll pray for a couple hours before I even write an ounce of the outline. I already know what we're going to get into, but before I write an ounce of the outline, I want to hear from God. God, tell me what it is we're supposed to do. Where is it we're going? Am I going in the right direction? Is there another direction you want to go? What is it that you have to say? And I want to hear from Him. And some of those things I write right down and put it right in the outline. It's important. Do you see prayer as an important part of your, what you do? It's real easy by how, you, how, how attentive you are to showing up for it. You get up early on Sunday mornings. You get up early before you go to work and pray. It, it's, this, this is going to show you what you do. Don't tell God how important or how good you are and what God should put in your hands. God is going to say, what are you doing what you have right now? Well, I've been doing it for years. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. How long did Joseph do that for? 17 years. And years before that with his father. And he still didn't get to the place that God said he was going to get to. Don't blame other people. Look to yourself. If you go home to be with the Father and do nothing else than what you're doing right now, and you did it with everything, you did it with the same gusto that David watched over those sheep, glory to God. I'd like to get to heaven and say, Father God, I took what you gave me, and I put everything into it. God will say, man, that's good. Yeah. You did, you put everything into it. It's a whole lot better than having something that people consider to be big and not putting everything into it. It's a whole lot better than that. Put everything into it. Don't view what you have or what you do as small. It is as big as you make it. It's as big as you make it. Don't worry about how people are responding to what you do. Listen to what the Father is saying. He's, his instructions are important. Anyway. We need to get on with that. Because you're sowing. When you, when you 
are in a ministry and you're doing, you are sowing into the kingdom. If you are a Sunday school teacher, you are sowing into the lives of those kids. If you are someone on the worship team, you are sowing into the congregation and worship time. If you, are, if you teach during the offering time, if you open the service, if you are doing the words on the, the scriptures uh, on the computer, if you're doing sound, if you're being an usher, if you're being a greeter, you are sowing into the lives of the people who come through these doors. Never devalue that. Always look, how can I do it better? What can I do to, to make this even, even more important? I remember that story that uh, Brother Keith Moore told. He was in a church, and a young man, he'd heard some things on this before, and a young man was standing there by the door, and he says, have you uh, had the opportunity to see the restroom yet? He says, "Uh, yes, I have. He says, were they clean? They were spotless, he said. He said, that's my job. (laughs) He just beamed. His job was cleaning the restrooms. He said, that's my job. How did he view that job? As huge. As huge. How did other people view the job? Who knows? It don't matter. How did he view it? As huge. How, view, how you view what you do is what God sees. And if a God uses it, what, what are they sowing? What have I given them? Jesus, go back on that parable we went over last week. Jesus gave a money to 10 people and he wanted to see what, he, what they all did with it. One guy made 10. What did he do with him? That one from that guy, he's not using it. Give it to the guy who says 10. But he's got 10. Yeah. He values what he has. Give it to him. God, he's no dummy. He knows where to put it. All right. We reap a harvest on seeds of thoughts, words, actions, as well as money. Joseph reaped a harvest for his diligence, saw for his lack of. Saul was not diligent. When God gave him a a command, go out there and kill them all, kill the king, wipe everything out. And he comes on back when Samuel greets him and says, "Uh, I was was faithful to the Lord. And Samuel says, remember his his comment? Then what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? (laughs) Oh, oh, that, well, you know, the people. It's always the people. The people wanted to, bring back some things and sacrifice to God. So they brought back the best, you know, they sacrificed to God. And we all know that very famous statement that Samuel made. To obey is better than sacrifice. Saul's lack of diligence caused him to lose the kingdom. And it went on to David. Bad seeds... Well, I, got, I got a quote. I got to tell about this, but more. We have bad seeds. How many have ever seen people speak what seems to be bad seeds into you? <laughs> Say bad things about you, bad things about what you're doing. Uh, it just you know, bad seeds. Yeah. How many of you have ever said something that you would consider to be a bad seed? And you, you mean you slapped yourself for it later on? Oh, why did I say that? Oh, I can't believe I said that. I shouldn't have. I know better than to say that. But I said it. <laughs> right? And, you know, sometimes we get these ultra-faith people. And they're out there. It's, oh, I can't believe you said that. Oh, you're going to die. <laughs> well, you've got to be careful about, about some of those things. Now, I'm, 
power in life is in the power of the tongue. I, uh, I understand that. Or life and death is in the power of the tongue. I understand that that's in there. But understand, what is the power? I put this in here. What is the power behind the things that you say or the things that people say about you? Because if people can just say something about you and that bring power into your life to alter it in a bad way, then you don't have a shot, do you? What is the power behind it? How is it that people can speak something into your life and it have an effect? How is it that, that you can say something and it have an effect? It's simple. And this is what I be saying here. Bad seeds power is in our faith in it. The power of bad seeds is our faith. If you have no faith in the bad seeds that others sow into your life has no effect on you. How many of you know, we're just story, story we're looking at with David. David had some people sow some bad seeds into him. They said some bad stuff about the guy. Did he have any faith in it? Not an ounce. Didn't believe a word of it. You kidding me? I'm a lion killer. <laughs> I'm a bear killer. Man, I take them things. You can say what you want about it. I know who I am. He, he had no faith in it. Because he had no faith in it, it had no power over him. Joseph, you think people were saying some bad stuff about him? But he had no faith in it. People may say some bad stuff about you, have no faith in it. No, that's not me. This is what I am. This is where I'm going to be. Bad seeds power is in our faith in it. You don't sow bad seed by accident. You don't sow bad seed by accident and reap a big harvest off of it. You don't sow bad seed by accident. You don't just let something slip out of your mouth and, oh, now I'm going to have a harvest on that. No, there needs to be faith with it. Sometimes we have said stuff with our mouth. You know what? I don't really believe that. That's, I don't really believe that. I don't know why I said that. Well, just, you know, just take, it, take that thing out. The problem is that a lot of times we believe it. The doctor comes to you and he gives you a bad report. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Why are you saying that? Because I believe I'm going to die. <laughs> it's your faith in it. That's the, that's the thing. You're not going to do this by accident. Don't be, don't be so concerned about it. Be watchful over your words. Certainly. But um, just understand, you've got to have some faith in it. We'll look at that scripture again here before the time's out. It's in your outline on the end there. So where does it come from? Where does the bad seed come from? In this case, it came from an enemy. Are there other places that bad seed will come? Uh, well, first off, we have bad seed from an enemy. We have bad seed from the enemy. And we have bad seed from myself. All those things will bring bad seed. An enemy, the enemy, and myself. I can bring bad seed. The enemy, Satan's kingdom, can bring bad seed. How do they come? Well, we said before, thoughts, words, and actions are seeds. We've uh, spent time on this, uh, this part of it before, but the devil's tactics always involve our thoughts. When he came down to Adam and Eve, he was messing with their thoughts. Has God really said, what are you going to do when someone says that? Well, I'm going to be thinking about that. Has God really said that? Has God really said that? We're always messing with our thoughts. He wants to come in there. When temptation comes, temptation comes as a thought. 
thinking it. Once temptation comes in as a thought, sometimes other people can speak some words to me to get me thinking on a certain line. So thoughts come to me from the enemy, Satan's kingdom, or from others who sow them into me, or even from my own flesh nature. How many of y'all know your flesh nature is capable of some pretty bad thoughts? It's capable of it. It can do it. What I do with them determines their result. So here's the enemy. An enemy, just people. The enemy, Satan's kingdom. Or myself, we can sow some bad thoughts. Thoughts turn into words. Words turn into actions. And there we start a harvest. That's when we're starting to get a harvest. See, it's a process of things. Adam and Eve, when they were down here, on the, we had the thought, we had the words, we had the actions. And they reaped a harvest, didn't they? It wasn't a good one, though. Number 16, verse 1. We've already been over the story of Korah before, but just look in the first five verses here. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his, who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. The story goes on. If you want to read the rest of it, you can certainly go on back there and do that. But Korah... How does this start? It starts with a thought, right? Who is Moses? Here comes the thought. Who is Moses? That could come from the enemy. It could come from an enemy, just people in the camp. Who is this Moses? He's thinking he's all that. We're all that too. And we could be doing some stuff. He just won't let us do anything. And so they begin to think about this and begin to talk about it. Thoughts go into words. Words begin to talk. And they all begin to talk amongst themselves. But then the words became what? They became actions. They all gathered up against Moses. And Moses knows they're in trouble. So he says, all right, tomorrow morning is what we'll do. I feel sorry for you guys. 1 Kings 12, verse 26. Jeroboam. And Jeroboam said in his heart, what does it mean when you say something in your heart? I want you to all do this right now. I want you to say something in your heart. I didn't hear anything. Why is that? It's a thought, right? So either he says it himself, his own flesh nature, or the enemy is sowing this and he's thinking on it. However it comes. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the king, God had just given him the kingdom. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to the Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Now, is there any foundation in this? No. He's just thinking it. This might happen. Hmm. Well, since this might happen, we better take precautions against it. Therefore, the king asked advice. So the thought became words. I began to ask people, what should we do about this problem? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that would be a problem. Yes, advice is, I'll tell you what, this is what you ought to do. We ought to make two golden calves. 
And then you only go out to the people and say, it's too much for you to go out to Jerusalem. We're going to set up one in Dan, which is further for most of them. And you can go to that one or you can go to this other one. So one's over here in and uh, it is too much for you to go out to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel and the other and put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Dan's all the way up in the north. He's all the way up at the top. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Is that God? Is that scripture? Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he said, instead of those feasts, we're going to do other feasts. We're going to have feasts, they're just going to be on different days. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made, and at Bethel he installed the priests in the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he made at Bethel on the 15th day, on the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. So he thinks to himself, I can make this a feast day. He speaks words about it that cause actions. And now we got different feast days from the ones that God said. We have different gods from the ones that God said. We have different priests from the ones that God said. Why? Because it started with a thought. Now he reaped a harvest. And if you want a neat, neat story, go to the next chapter and read that prophet comes on down and rebukes him and calls by name a king of Judah who would be born much further in the future. We're not talking about 10 years in the future. We're talking a long time in the future. And he says, Josiah by name, he's going to come. He's going to kill you guys. Going to wipe this thing out. One more, Judas, John chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a, a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So he said, Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So this thought comes to Judas. Why was this not sold. We could sell it, 300 denarii come in. If we get that much money coming into the till, I can easily take some of that and no one will notice. Mark chapter 14, verse 10 adds this to it. This is an addition to the story that we just read. After it tells this part of the story and does not name Judas as the one who said it, it said some. This one names Judas. But look at what Mark says in chapter 10. Then Judas Iscariot. This is the verse right after the story was told. One of the twelve went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. As soon as this thing had occurred, we had the thought, we had the words that he spoke, we had the action. Does he reap a harvest off of what he does? Oh, man, he does. And it's not a good one. It is not a good harvest. It's a bad seed. 
But he did not stop the bad seed when it came to him. He let it continue. You need to stop the bad seeds when they come. You need to quit them. And we can do that better. If we don't, there is a harvest on the bad seed. Don't let it happen. When, if you have a ministry like we were talking about before, and the thought comes, what you do is not that important. No one cares about what you do. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're not valuable. You're not, if the thought comes, you need to rebuke that. It does not matter how people respond. It matters how is God speaking to you about that ministry. How is God telling you, you need to be listening to God? Because the thought will come in. It's not important. It's not significant. And pretty soon you're going to stop doing it. And then pretty soon you're not being blessed and other people aren't being blessed. You're not able to sow where you were sowing before. And that's not good. It's a cycle that the devil likes to use. He used it with several of the people here. He got them all out of the ministry. He got them all out of what their Jeroboam was supposed to become king and have an enduring house. God promised them as long as you do what I told you to do. And he didn't do it. He didn't follow after it. Judas was supposed to be one of the 12, sit on the 12 uh, thrones. What did he do? He gave it up. Gave up his throne in heaven because of a thought that turned into words became an action. How insignificant do you think it must be that you are the treasurer for the house of the Son of God that you would steal from it? Proverbs 18, 21. I already read this one to you. But death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your words are important. They ought to be good ones. You ought to think about those words before you say them. They are important. But just because you let one slip doesn't mean you're dying. You've got to have some faith in it. Sometimes you let some things slip and you don't have any faith in it. I know that because sometimes people say some things for good and they have no faith in it. I think if you do this, this will happen. No, not really, but I say that. No, come on. Joel chapter 3, verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Here's the part we want. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak say what? That means the people who consider themselves to be weak should say, I am strong. Get this. The people who consider themselves to be weak should say, I will become strong. Someday I'll be strong. What does it say? I am strong. That's what he says. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. For, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become middle class. Rich. He has a purpose in it. He wants you to become something. So that means when we are not what we are wanting to be, we should declare something different. And so seeds that way. I heard this story, um, again, from Brother Keith. I love this story. I've told this story to you before. I want to tell it to you again because this is an absolutely fantastic story. And if you can get the full impact of this, it would change your life. There was a woman who was in the hospital. She was not doing well at all. Very 
week, very sick. And Brother Keith went over there to minister. I think he was in the healing class at the time. He was uh, teaching healing, uh, healing class in the, in the school. And so he went over there to visit. And she was really, really weak. And she said, she got, oh, Brother Keith, come here, come here. And he got down real close to her mouth so he could hear, kind of leaned her, his ear down. So he, and she goes, I'm terribly, I can't eat. I can't keep food down. Whatever I eat, it comes right back up. I'm so weak. She could barely even get it out. Barely even get it out. And so uh, he, was, he was talking with her, and he, he quoted this verse in Joel to her. Let the weak say, I am strong. He said, we're just going to do that together. We're just going to say that. Because another verse of scripture says that uh, we are strong in the power of his might. I am strong in the power of his might. So he just got her to say that. He said, I am strong. And she said, I am strong in the power of his might. Barely got it out. Barely got it out. He says, you know what? We're just going to say that again. And they said it again. We're just going to say that again. And they said it again. And then they, they, he shortened it. I am strong. I am strong. He said within an hour of them saying that, she was sitting up in the bed. And now you could hear her outside of the room. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. She was saying, I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It had changed just that quick. He said it was the most dramatic thing he had ever seen. This woman had gone from where she could barely do anything and in an hour. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And things were changing. Things were getting better. And so he says, look, we're going to just, we're going to do some other. I want you to say this. Instead of saying, I can't keep food down. I keep throwing it up. I want you to say this. I can eat, and whatever I eat stays down. But, it, but it's not staying down. I, know, I, don't care if, I don't care if you eat something and it bounces right off your stomach and comes right back out. I want you to say, whatever I eat is going to stay down. All right, I can do that. And so she went on that way and, and, and did that for a while. And, and pretty soon, she wasn't throwing up food anymore. The food was staying down and she was getting stronger and she was getting stronger. Why? Because let the weak say, I am strong. How many of you consider you're facing a situation and you feel weaker than the situation? What should you say? I am strong. Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. 
Isn't that what you're doing when you're calling, when you are weak and you're saying, I am strong? Let the weak say it. What are you doing? Calling into existence what's not there. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so he became, he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. To be weak in faith is to consider the things that are around you. Already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, and he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore was accounted to him for righteousness. We got to get this idea down of the calling of things that do not exist as though they did. It is a difference not calling those things that don't exist as though they will. It is calling those things that do not exist as if they do. That's a difference. If that was not written that way, then the verse in Joel should read like this. Let the weak say, I will become strong. It doesn't read it that way, though, does it? It says, let the weak say, I am strong. That means we call those things that are not yet as though they were. It's the same example we saw with Jesus when he made the worlds. What did he do? He spoke them into existence. They weren't here. He spoke them into existence. By the power of his word, things are created. One more verse for you. Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, or have the faith of God. For surely I say to you, we're going to count the says. For surely I say to you, that's one, whoever says to this mountain, that's two, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, that's three, will be done. He will have whatever he says, that's four. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask is asking, not saying. That's five. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And as Brother Hagin used to point out to us, saying is, is in those verses more than believing. The saying part is more important than the believing part. We need to say some of these things. Let the weak say, I am strong. Go back to verse 23. Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. When you let something slip out of your mouth that you don't believe, it will no more come into existence than when you say something you want to come about and have no belief for it. What do you want to happen? Let the weak say, I am strong. If you are not in the condition that you want to be in, then speak it. That's, I'm not, what was Abraham supposed to do? Abraham was called to be a father of? And how many was the father of? None. And so what did God do? God changed his name. Instead of Abram, you're going to be Abraham. That means father of many. So what's your name? Father of many. What's he, what's he doing? I am calling those things that be not as though they were. Not father of 
not, not maybe father of many, not will become father of many. He was named father of many. And we've gone over this before, but it's the same principle we do every single time. It's been nice and cool this week, but how many remember the week before, the two weeks before? It was 90s. And you would go over to your thermostat in your house, and you have an air conditioner in there, right? And you would say, it is hot. And so what would you do? You go over to that thermostat, and you would take the thermostat, and you would set it down at a lower temperature. Maybe it's 90 degrees, and you would set the thermostat down to 75 72, whatever temperature you did, are you not calling those things that be not as though they were? Is it 75 in your house right now? No, it's 90 in my house right now. Then why are you putting that thing at 75? It's not 75. You should put it at 90 because that's what it is. No, I want it to be 75. And until you turn that thermostat to 75, it's not going to be 75, is it? Until you start speaking some things into your life, positive things, your life will not become what God wants it to be. Until you stop viewing what you do in a small, God can't give you anything big. Until you start dealing with or handling with diligence what it is that you are doing, how can God give you something more? Be diligent. For how long? For a year? Joseph was diligent for how long? 17 years plus all the years he was with his dad. Daniel was diligent for how long? I have no idea. Long time. Long time he was. Moses was diligent. 40 years in the house of Pharaoh. Then went off in the wilderness, kind of tried to get away from the call of God, but God found him. He was still diligent with the, with the uh, stuff he was doing there. Never walk away from diligence. When you sow diligence, what will you reap? When I am diligent with the word of God, with the promise of God, with the things that God puts in my care, when I am diligent with those things, then God, I'm opening the door for God to be diligent in my life for those things he can't trust with others. Open up the door for God. Wake up in the morning and you're weak. What should you do? I am strong. strong. You're feeling discouraged. What do you say? I am victorious. You're feeling like you can't overcome. I I don't know what to do. What should you say? I have wisdom. I have wisdom. Thank God I have wisdom. I am wise. But I'm not wise. I don't know what to do. I am wise. Declare it. Does the word promise it to you? And declare it. This is going on. This is happening in my life. This is what I will become. Too often Christians are going around, they're saying the other side. And the reason that it brings negative seeds and negative harvest in their life is because they believe it. It is easier to believe a bad report than to believe a good one. We've all heard the stories. Thomas Edison got the, the light bulb working on the 10th try, right? On the 100th try. On the 150th try. On the 200th try. On the 250th try. How many times did he do it? Around a thousand. One thousand times. Somewhere in that neck of the woods. He went after it. That means 900, 950, 980, 990, whatever the number. He failed. 
when you fail that many times, what are people around you saying? It's not going to work. You're not going to get it. What is he saying to try it again? It will work. I can see it. I can see it. How many times did Alexander Graham Bell work on the phone? How many times did Lincoln, we've all heard this one, how many times did Lincoln run for office, start a business? How many times did he fail? <laughs> Seemed like every time but one. And yet, we fail two, three, four times, and we're done. Now, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I would rather go to heaven failing at what God called me to do than to quit. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't discourage. Keep I'm, I'm declaring it. You get up in the morning, I am. And you, you say what it is that you are. What is it that you're seeing? What did, what did Joseph say? I am a leader. I'm a ruler. I am a ruler. You're a slave. No, I am a ruler. He wake up in the morning, people tell him, you're a slave. What do he say? I am a ruler. <laughs> I am a ruler. No, today you're a prisoner. No, I'm a ruler. <laughs> I'm a ruler. He kept going on that. 17 years fighting people. I'm a ruler. His own family, the years before that. I'm a ruler. You are not. You're nothing. I'm a ruler. I got dreams. I'm a ruler. <laughs> and what did he become? A ruler. A ruler. Saved an entire nation and many nations around him because of one guy, one guy's vision to be a ruler. And God gave him the vision of what to do in that position. Was it important? Are you kidding me? The entire nation of Israel was saved because of Joseph and what he did. The entire nation of Israel was saved. They had no food. They had to come down to Egypt to buy it. They had no food. Why did Joseph have it? Because he listened and became what God said to do. You got bad seed going on in your life. You got people that have said bad seed. You got bad seed maybe that you have sown. Quit believing it. Turn it around and start declaring. All right, up to this point, I've been weak. But now, I no more. I am strong. I am declaring what may not be yet, but I see it as so. I am what God has called me to be. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father God, you have called us to be victorious. You have called us to be overcomers. I thank you, Father, that whatever it is that we face in our life, whatever it is that is going on all around us, you have given us a vision for something different. And though we have failed and failed and failed before, we keep our eyes on the success that we will have in the future. We will keep doing what you have said to do. We will keep going in the direction you have said to go. And we will look at the people in the Word of God who didn't see that success. Abraham didn't see that child for 25 years. But he believed. And he became the father of many. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in this. We are overcomers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we run off here today and head on off to the picnic and things, we are going to share communion together. The ushers are coming around with the two elements. Take them. Hold on to them and we will partake of them together. The Word of God, it gives us very clear instructions about the, the things in the, that went on during the time of Jesus. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Two parts. The first part occurred before dinner. It is the bread. The second part occurs after supper. There's a difference. There is a separation between the two. They do not represent the same thing. And we are to remember, because he knew we'd forget. The body of Jesus Christ represents, or the, the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. On his body was put our curse, sickness, disease, poverty, all that was put upon him. We do not bear it ourselves. He bore it for us. In the beating that his body took. That was all taken care of before he went to the cross. His body was beaten for us. Isaiah tells us about it. By his stripes we are healed. As we eat together, let's remember, we are healed because of the stripes of Jesus. After supper, he took the cup and he says, this represents the blood of the new covenant. Up until now, they had the blood of bulls and goats. And what that did was that washed away. Or that just uh, covered over. But Jesus' blood is going to wash it away. It's going to make us clean. It's going to make us pure. No more being done. No more being mindful of it. I heard somebody teaching about something else this, this week. And you know how in the, in the Jewish culture, whenever someone died, what was the thing that they would always do? Beside the ashes on their head? What did they do to their clothes? They would tear them. That was a, a thing that they did. They would tear their clothes. When Jesus died on the cross, what was torn? The veil to the temple. That was what separated the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, from people. He tore the veil. That's something they could relate to. Blood of Jesus Christ made it possible that the presence of the Holy Spirit would no longer be separated from us. And now he lives on the inside of us because of the blood of Jesus. As we drink together, let's remember what it is. this has done for us. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the wonderful help you give us in life, for the wonderful help you give us understanding your word, that you have provided us healing, set us free from all the things that the curse brought upon us, and that by the blood of Jesus we have been washed clean so that the Holy Spirit can make his habitation in us. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. A couple of uh, prayer requests. Some praise re reports. Everybody got their praise reports in? Anybody need to fill one out yet? Okay. Miss Gladys had a, um, a praise report from Thursday. She had a severe pain in her right hip. And Pastor and I prayed with her, and the pain subsided, but returned once more. Um, but she stood on the word, and she has no more pain in the right hip. And she went to work on Thursday night. So praise God for that. Um, Mandy and, and Lamar had one. says that God came through as always. We were in a financial crunch with one of our businesses, and unexpected money came in to handle that need. Praise God. They also got a um, completely unexpected check to them personally to cover two months of their mortgage. God's faithful. Amen. Um, Susan said she had some, um, some follow-up medical tests on Friday. 
and praise God they couldn't find anything wrong. Like that. Ethel was able to pray for a co-worker's husband named Paul that he would be healed of kidney failure. <clears throat> the last report is that he is too healthy for a kidney transplant. <laughs> the doctor has only seen this twice in his over 20 years of practice. Amen. And Anna has one. She says, praise God, she had a chance to minister to a neighbor of hers. And this person is open and does believe what she gives her and lets her pray for her. Yes, I praise God for this one, too. Praise God for a safe trip to and from Africa, their home. Um, delivered from a potential ghastly auto vehicle accident. Thank God for his angels. Um, lost but found his phone in Nigeria. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> praise God. And that's, that's what we have there.